Good morning and welcome to yet another episode of Across the Pond. Barry, it's good to see your face again. We're doing our video episodes again. Likewise, back at it again, Chad, and our listeners and our viewers again. So welcome back. <laughs> welcome. Pond, across the pond, with Barry and Chad. So we've been doing this whole podcast for sort of more than six months already, Barry. How do you feel about that? I'm really chuffed, Chad. It's been an amazing journey. I've certainly learned a hell of a lot and I've really, really enjoyed it. If we started at the beginning and you said to me six months later, we're still going to be doing week by week, you'd be like, oh, we'll have to see how it goes. But things are going well. So really glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, if you're new, uh, I am in London and Barry's actually tuned in via Skype, uh, basically in South Africa, in Johannesburg. And uh, we are going to take that across the pond dimension to another dimension today because we've introduced another pond. Uh, but we'll get there. Let's get into our episode. Be our guest, be our guest, put our podcast to the test. Be our guest, be our guest, be our guest. Hey, what is that jingle, Barry? Do you know what's going on here? Chad, what is the... Sure, that's a bit strange. We haven't heard that one before. <laughs> well, we actually have got a brand new segment to the podcast. And uh, for the very first time, we've got our first guest. She's tuned in via Zoom. But Barry, would you like to give her a quick introduction first? Sure. We are chatting today to a professional streamer, a legend in the online streaming world, a girl by the name of Natalie. And her kind of Facebook name is NatChat, a Facebook partnered gamer doing really incredibly well, has grown a huge fan base over the last couple of months. And we're really excited to chat to her about online streaming and what the industry actually looks like. Welcome, Natalie. How's it going that side? Hello, hello, guys. I'm super excited to be here. It's going fantastic. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, yeah, all good. Obviously, we're sort of early morning this side and you're kind of easing into your afternoon, getting ready for your, your evening stream, which obviously adds an extra dimension. Um, but yeah, I mean, how's, how's that all going? We were just chatting about lockdown. How's that treating you? Yes, definitely. It is now three in the afternoon for me. So I'm definitely having my little mid-afternoon break after my morning stream <laughs> that I just did. Um, but the lockdown is actually going okay. I must be honest. Um, it's not something that has affected me. I'm really, really blessed in that way just because yeah. of the job that I do. Um, my quarantine is pretty much being at home and literally streaming all the time. So I couldn't say that it's changed much for me, but it's been sad obviously yeah. seeing it affect so many other people like financially and like all that kind of thing. Um, but it's been crazy. It's definitely brought a lot more people into the stream. I think because a lot of people at, are at home yeah. um, and it's just been something so fantastic to create like uh, you know, a space for them to hang out during the quarantine. Amazing, amazing. Well, I mean, Barry obviously kind of touched a little bit of your credentials and, and where you're at with your stream at the moment. But let's take it a little step back for those who are kind of new to streaming or don't know what it entails. I mean, how do you explain what you do to family and friends and anyone who asks? Oh, that's really a tough one. Um, I'm not going to lie. I feel like it's such a new, like, generation thing that trying to explain to like an older generation because it's not your typical old school job of like being an accountant or being like an engineer or like that kind of thing it's not like a degree it's not anything of that sort of sense um but it's something that I explained that since I was small I've always enjoyed like gaming and community and obviously in the name Nat chats like I chat a lot and so I'm a very people's person. So for me, I was driven by a community-based job, which really excited me because I always used to work in retail. So I was dealing with people on a daily right. basis. And I was like, but I want to do this in a way where I'm also having fun at the same time. Um, and there's not that pressure. 
And so I just decided that I wanted to do gaming. So I explained that in the sense that it's a community driven job. And for me, my job is like creating entertainment for people while I'm gaming. So it's pretty much like a gaming show if you want to think about it. So like I try and make like every stream a bit different, you know, bring some humor, um, like they're tuning in, if that makes sense. Like, oh, what's like, you know, Natchez going to do today? (laughs) Trying to like really create that content and a place where they can tune in and get excited to watch like pretty much like a TV show. So a lot of the time that's what I say. I say I pretty much do a gaming TV show because there's no other way of explaining that I'm sitting on the internet playing games. A lot of the time they're like, what? You know what I mean? So that's just as best as that I could like describe it. I think that's a great parallel because when I was watching a little bit of your stream the other day, like it's very high energy and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of noise. And obviously you're trying to rile everyone up and get everyone involved. And so the gaming is kind of just the the vehicle for that. Mm -hmm. And and your personality is actually what carries it through. Do you think that's the major differentiator for streamers who succeed and who don't? Is it that personality aspect that kind of wins them that battle? 100%. So at the end of the day, you could be like one of the best gamers out there, but like nobody wants to sit and watch you just win a game like you need to create that content like you gotta have the content you gotta have that personality and remember that those people are giving up time to be sitting there watching you they've given up time in their day to be sitting there watching you play a game so like why wouldn't you want to make that fun and like interesting for them so for me it's massive Um, I wouldn't say whether it's like determines whether you'll succeed or not but I for me as a gamer and what I'm passionate about on my stream and my content is a lot to do with putting it back into my community and making sure that I'm making a positive enjoyable place for them to come and watch and hang out definitely high energy um, but it's incredible how it can have like one of the worst days possible and honestly not even feel like (laughs) streaming Um, And then I put my music on and like my countdown starts and I see the chat going crazy and they're all excited and they're like, yes, Nat. Or I see a comment like, oh my God, I'm having a bad day. I'm so glad you live. And it's amazing how it just flips everything around and just makes it so much more exciting and changes my day um, and just makes me like even more excited for the stream. So it's definitely like bouncing off energy with one another. Um, that just makes it, you know, that high energy place to be. Amazing. I mean, just that little description kind of just gives me goosebumps. It's it's insane. So, I mean, let's just go into that and let's go into your current following, which, which mm-hmm. like you said, is a community that you've built, um, a really massive ach- achievements. And I'm sure anyone Thank listening you. will be inspired by that. I mean, just to, to touch on that, you've got over 180,000 followers at the moment on Facebook. And uh, I mean, sort of more than half of those tune into almost every single chat, which is insane. That That's so amazing. It's super exciting and like the growth, like I said, has just been absolutely insane, especially like obviously with the corona and a lot of people being at home. Um, But I'd like to think that I'm obviously offering something that people are really enjoying and feel really connected to. Um, That's something I'm proud of because I am brought up with quite a strong morale and like value in life. So for me to like put something out there, especially being, you know, growing at where I am and like being a role model necessarily in the community it's important for me to display those standards and values and really be like a role model for people to be watching and not necessarily like look at me in a different light so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure sometimes but at the same time it's 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 rewarding and I feel extremely proud of what I've built and what I've done so far I mean I haven't even hit a year yet my year's next month 
Um, and so it. when That's I crazy. started this, I really did not think like this was going to be the way it was um, at all. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been incredible. We just actually hit 187,000 today, which is crazy. Fantastic. I feel like I literally Amazing. hit 100k <laughs> like last month. So it's been nuts. Wow. The love is just unreal. Like people say there's not a lot of love in the world. It definitely is like come to my community. Yeah. You'll see it. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> just got to find your tribe. It's exactly. Find your tribe. Exactly. Jenny, about why you started. How did you get into this? Like, what, what, what happened to to finally decide? Cool, I'm gonna try and do the streaming thing. And 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 how did you get that first kind of few streams going when you didn't have any followers? Yeah, for sure. So, I always wanted to be like that whole YouTuber, like vlogger. You know, like everybody. I feel like goes through that thing. Don't we you, all? Don't right, we all? Right, right, right. You really wanna be. You really wanna be like that person, especially if you are really chatty, outgoing. That's like your vibe. Yeah. Um. And so I tried the YouTube. I tried everything. Like I, I kept trying, like doing all these different things because I, I honestly just. I couldn't say that I wasn't happy with the work that I was doing because I was. I really enjoyed makeup and that's what I used to work in before in skincare. But I just felt like it's just not something that I'm feeling like I'm making a difference in the world, if that makes sense. Like I want to make my mark. Yeah. And so um, we had a little bit of trouble uh, like a, about a year and a half ago with um, our community priest passing away and it was really tough in the mm -hmm. community and so I decided to create like a community page for people to come and watch me live stream whether it was sitting at home and we would maybe go through like some bible verses or like okay. some old videos of like you know um the priest and like just chat about like how he's changed our lives and really like jump off each other's energy to try create a bit more of positivity which was such a devastating time you know in the community yeah. and so I actually labeled the the channel called hangouts with nat and that was actually the original name page of my page it was hangout with nat and i really enjoyed doing the live streams and it was lovely but it did obviously get to a point where i was like sitting there and i was like what could like you know we possibly more discuss what could i do but i'm enjoying this whole live streaming thing like it's it's pretty cool you know and so i always enjoyed watching gamers on facebook and because facebook gaming was so new it was such a new platform like how many of us you know sit on facebook and sort of scroll through i found it so fascinating how like these people were literally on my facebook playing games and i was like you know maybe I should like try give this a go. I mean, I think I'm terrible at the gaming part, but I feel like I could, I feel like I could be a bit different and maybe like make it like fun or funny. And so I went off and like, we were actually going through a bit of a difficult financial time at the, the time. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to go buy like a PC. I'm going to go like, I started with like, you know, minimal, minimal stuff, but I really wanted to try and make this happen yeah. because I just had this like urge to like try this whole gaming live stream thing. And so I really had like a few followers from the live stream community thing. Um, and then I just started to go live. And um, I don't know, I think people were attracted to the different South African accent. It wasn't like, you know, because a lot of a lot of the streamers were like American. So yeah. it was something completely different. People were like, what the hell is this girl? Like, you know, what she's saying? And like, let's be honest, <laughs> South African people, we're very unique with the stuff we say. We're very yeah. out there and we're bold and that sort of thing. And so I think people were really drawn to how maybe different I was to what was currently on Facebook. Um, and so then it just 
kickstarted from there. Like every time I would go live, you know, I would gain some followers and then they would return and then, you know, you get the shares. So they start sharing around. Yeah, and then yeah. that's just how I slowly started to grow and grow. Absolutely amazing. And uh, I mean, that's now a transition to a new milestone, I believe, uh, for you, which is becoming a official Facebook gaming partner. And I'm sure that means a heck of a lot for you. Um, and just kind of clarify to everyone who doesn't know what that actually means. What does it entail? Yes, of course. So it was crazy to finally become a Facebook <laughs> gaming partner. Super, super exciting. Um, and so it was obviously a goal from the start to be an official partner. So what that basically means is like you're an ambassador for Facebook gaming. Right. Like you're an official, official gaming partner. Um, it is like a contracted thing. And right. so to get there, you obviously have to hit certain milestones on your streaming page, hit a certain like audience, that kind of thing, a target, right. that sort of thing. And so what that entails is like obviously more exclusive events with Facebook gaming, like being featured as a Facebook gaming partner. It's a partnership at the end of the day, just like any sort of business yeah. partnership, kind of the same. So I'm pretty much in business partnership with Facebook gaming um, and super exciting for me because I am like the first Australian Australian partner so in America they've Amazing. got over like a few hundreds Asia Europe you name it but I'm the very first oceanic person to be partner which is so exciting <laughs> wow. um it took a little bit of time uh, just because when I was at the gaming convention in PAX I really you know expressed how I would love to be a partner and you know they take took a look at my growth and they were like no you definitely are like doing great and we want to make you a partner but our problem is that we don't have any you know partner managers in Australia that could be your partner manager so that's where the difficult time came in and it was a lot of things because they would have to make like an exception for me right. um, to try put me under North America and it got really really complicated so you know felt a little bit defeated um, and felt like I, was in, I wasn't going to be able to get that partnership because Facebook, like I said, Facebook gaming is so new and it's growing rapidly that like they need to expand the team and that kind of thing. So it was exciting for me to finally get it because it showed me that they put in that much effort to really get that done for me. And they really wanted me to be a partner. So I felt like really accomplished and really like this is an incredible achievement for me. I've never achieved anything like this in my whole life. And so it was a really, really fantastic day. The day I got the call and they were like, nah, we got to tell you something. We're partnering you. And it was actually quite Amazing. funny because um, the two partner managers that I met at PAX, which is the gaming convention, um, they were like, we actually had to like rock a, rock it, uh, rock a paper scissors over you on FaceTime because I wanted to manage you. He wanted to manage you. We're a rock a paper scissoring. Um, so it was really, really nice. I felt really welcomed into the community. So I am actually under North America. But okay. I feel really, really like grateful that like I've been given the opportunity um, regarding like the circumstances of being in Australia. I can still be a partner, which is insane. And I'm sure it's going to give you lots of opportunities to get around the world and travel to some of those big events and whatnot. I, I want to piggyback off a question from Twitter from Evelyn, who's asking you, have you traveled a lot in your life? And what kind of, what kind of uh, places do you look forward to traveling to in the next kind of year or two as you start to scale up this business of yours that you've built? Yes, of course. So I absolutely love to travel. Um, that's one thing I always do every year is try to save up and go on like a six week holiday to somewhere different I've never been. And so I have actually been to America a couple of times. Um, I've been fortunate enough to go, but yes, this year I ended up going to Boston packs, okay. um, which is, yeah, which is super exciting. My very first gaming event as a streamer. And I was supposed to attend the one in Seattle, which was, um, last year, November, I think. Um, but I actually have really bad anxiety of flying by myself. Okay. 
So I've like flown all my life. I've absolutely never had a problem whatsoever flying. I've been on hundreds of flights, but there's something about being by myself and flying that I don't know, just triggers something inside. And so I was so ready for this like Seattle trip. Um, to go to my very, and this was when I was at about 10 Ks. I was really new on the scene. I was excited to go, you know, represent Natchez and go. And I just got to the airport and had a total meltdown and just, I couldn't go. Right. So I ended up canceling Exit. that trip, which is Exit. really like sad for me. But you know, things work out how they're supposed to be. Yeah. And then, um, this opportunity came around for PAX Boston. And one of my friends said, look, I've never been to America, so I'm happy to travel with you. So I ended up traveling with her. And that was my very first convention I attended, which was so exciting. I got to meet so many of my other fellow streamers that I've been like playing with and talking to, um, yep. you know, this whole time That's during awesome. this journey. So, so cool to finally see them like in person. I got to meet like Facebook gaming, which was exciting um, and that sort of thing. But a lot of traveling, yes, coming up, especially now being a partner as well yep. to really like, you know, attend the events and be there at the, at the Facebook um, booths. And that kind of thing. So a lot of America trips, because that's where a lot of the PAXs do happen. Um, but I'm hoping to bring a lot more to Australia as well, because we do actually have a PAX in Melbourne, um, which will be super exciting okay. so that I could maybe travel to in within Australia as well, you know, for the gaming events, which is cool. And that time when you first got to meet some of your actual real life fans, um, is that the moment that it just kind of hit home to you that, you know, these are actual real people, um, like you said, who are kind of investing a lot of their time um, to tune into your streams every day? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't, you know what, I, I really, I must say, I cringe at the word fans because <laughs> I, I like really just don't consider my followers anything like a fan because I just like, it makes me feel super like weird. And so I just like to call them my family members right. because like they are like a part of my community and they're just so wonderful and give me so much of their time, like, you know, that you would like to a family member. And so when I did go and I had like the odd person come up to me, I was just like, this is weird like uh, how do you know who I am and actually that wasn't my first encounter um at PAX when someone came up to me and they were like oh my god it's Snapchats and I was like what what, what do you mean like I was um <laughs> out on a night out actually in Perth and because I call my community my Uhanas which means family in right. um Hawaiian yeah, yeah yeah and so I went out one night and I was a little tipsy I'm not gonna lie I was chilling at the bar <laughs> like trying to order my drink chilling and this guy just kept like looking at me and I'm like looking at him and he's going ohana ohana and i'm thinking what the <laughs> frick are you saying bro and i'm like kind of like like am i dream am i dr that right like what is he saying and I'm, I'm like sorry what are you saying he's like ohana ohana means family i'm like oh my god you watch my stream he's like yes he's like i watch your stream he's like oh my god that's so crazy i can't believe i bumped into you so i was like oh my god please come in my stream tomorrow and say hello that's insane um so i, I definitely am not used to people knowing who i am at all because it's like yeah. I don't consider myself as anybody I'm just like a person online playing games trying to make you laugh um, but it definitely does like you know wiggle your heart when you have people that get so happy just to see you and like they want to give you a massive hug and be like I love your streams like it's so rewarding it's definitely something I didn't think I would experience at all and where do you think this industry is going? Like, obviously, we've seen huge growth for the last couple of years. Where do you see it going in the next five to ten years? Do you think it's going to become a real mainstream form of entertainment where it, like, really has mass market appeal? Or do you think it's going to remain quite a kind of niche kind of individual focused on the internet? I feel like well, if you're talking about, like, streaming as a whole, I feel like it's definitely um, – it's going to get bigger for sure, but I feel like it's going to be one of those jobs, which is just like every other job where 
it's not not everybody's going to make it in there. Um, yeah. A lot of people are going to like have that confidence to do it, which is exciting because why not try something? But also you can't be disappointed if it doesn't work out for you because like not that's not everybody's path in life, if that makes sense. So I feel like sure. when you find something that you're meant to be doing, it will work out for you. So I definitely feel like streaming is going to grow. Like I've seen it on the daily. I, I turn on my Facebook gaming app and I, there's like hundreds of new people streaming, which is so exciting okay. um, because it's so community driven and there's going to be a stream for absolutely every single individual yeah. out there. So not everyone's going to yeah. love my stream. Not everyone's going to love the way I'm like, I talk or they might find me annoying. So there's always something out there for you to watch that you will like. So I definitely think it is a growing thing. Um, but I feel like at the same time, uh, the success rate can be a little bit more challenging because it was the same when like YouTube started and people, yeah. you know, got that initial hit on YouTube and they were massive. And now to try like be someone on YouTube is like nearly impossible. It's super. Yeah. <laughs> It's super difficult. So yeah, it's all about like that timing. Yeah, yeah, it's all about that timing. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like now's the time to really be a part of that streaming because like, you know, other platforms, you get so lost on them. And because Facebook gaming is so new, it's a great platform to really like start with um, and get recognized on. Because like I said, how many of us scroll on Facebook all day <laughs> looking at things and that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and so yeah. I definitely think it's going to grow. I definitely think, you know, we can only watch so much Netflix. We can only watch, you know, so many movies and that kind of thing until you want to try something different and I think what's so great about the gaming is that it's so interactive because yeah. um, you can learn also a lot from it from like the games they're playing you get to like watch pe your favorite people play with one another and if the streamer offers you to play with them how even more exciting because then you get to yeah. join in and actually play with them so it's a really interactive job which I think a lot of people like because I feel like the world we live in it's very like each person for themselves we don't interact as much with human beings yeah. anymore because we're so like you know in our own worlds yeah. so it does offer a lot of interactive opportunities which is what i love so much about streaming absolutely um yeah absolutely amazing and uh, just in terms of that interactive bit for for anyone who hasn't actually watched a stream before and seen what it entails um you know i'm certainly very new to it and obviously was fascinated by by the whole the whole thing of it all and uh, obviously watched one of your streams and it, it really is like barry said such high energy um but i mean a lot of a lot of work for you as well to kind of keep your attention on the game you're playing uh, keep your attention on the community and the chat that's going on uh, on, on the side as well um how do you kind of do it all at the same time honestly um, as my community has grown, I'm not going to lie, it's been absolutely super difficult. Um, yeah. I used to actually have like a little screen with my chat on and I could only see like a maximum of like 10 comments and, um, my chat, you know, because I have such a personal relationship with a lot of the people that come into my yeah. stream every day, um, they, you know, they'd be like, you now you missed my comment. Now you missed my comment. That really started to like really bother <laughs> me because I was like, oh my God, I don't want to miss your comments. Oh like kind of thing. So I ended up going to buy this massive freaking monitor that I could tilt like you know the opposite way so now I can see my my chat a lot better I'm not gonna lie it's helped so so much but it is challenging at times 
Um, but I try, I feel like with everything that you do, it comes with practice. So you start to get the hang of it. You learn like the times where you can quickly look at chats where you can like, you know, and the importance of moderators in my stream. Oh yeah. my goodness is so important. So I'm really blessed to have such a fantastic team behind me of moderators that really okay. answer a lot of questions in the chat for me and, um, respond for me. Um, if I've missed a comment or that kind of thing, but I do try like greet mostly everybody in the chat. And I always do like apologize if I have missed out. Um, but at the same time, I want to also bring a little bit of quality gameplay. So I don't want to be yeah. like totally focused completely all the time on the chat and the gameplay is like terrible. You, you want to have that mixture of a bit of both. Um, but a lot of the time, sometimes when I'm in one of those funny moods and I'm just laughing and having a total fun time, um, I'm <laughs> totally talking to the chat the whole time. We're dying. We're laughing. It's okay. It depends on the vibes. Um, and then some days I'll have like when I'm doing like my really like kind of sweaty stream and I want to be like really into the game. So my community is kind of used to that. So they know Friday to Mondays is like supporter games. So we're laughing with the supporters. We're hanging out. It's more chilled. And then like Tuesday, Wednesdays, I've got like my more like fixed stream where I'm like either co-streaming with another streamer or I'm like, you know, just doing solos and I'm trying to get the win. Um, so I feel like they know the particular day of what what's going to be on the stream. But I do make sure that I read a lot of my comments because I am streaming and I am where I am right now because of my community. And I would never disregard that whatsoever. Yeah. I'd rather like die in the game than like miss a comment. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that's amazing. And I suppose that's that personal aspect to it, uh, which has made you so successful on this. Now, just one more question, obviously, because we are running out of a bit of time. Um, on my thing. side, uh, we, we obviously chatted before the call uh, just about like how you said, you know, if people say there's no love in the world, they need to come to your community and they'll see it all there. And uh, that's really just so amazing. Um, but obviously, every now and then you get that one guy, you get that troll who's trying to invoke a bit of a reaction. And uh, I I just wanted to know how do you handle trolls <laughs> the trolls you gotta <laughs> love them you gotta love them so i am a really like a fiery italian kind of girl you know so there would be like a few comments that used to really trigger me and i used to really yeah. like lose my cool on stream and um it's taken a lot to really train myself to be a lot more calm and again the moderator is so important because they will remove a lot of the comments before i've even seen them which is fantastic for me um, and really, really help. But, you know, it's one of those things where I try to really sit and think to myself, what has created that person to want to react that way? So there must be something going on in their personal life that's obviously created this person and want to react and be so nasty in my chat. So I try to put myself in their shoes and say, I don't know what they're going through right now. Um, I'm I'm gonna gonna avoid it because I feel like people yeah. really feed off your reaction, yeah. and the more I react to it, the more like sort of crazy people go in the chat, and I don't really want to like cheer on that in my stream. I don't want people yeah. to start backing me up and then start being nasty to people in the stream yeah, and be yeah, like, yeah. "Don't say that!" Like, who are you? Like, I don't want to entertain that in my community. Yeah. And so when we do have a troll, that we pretty much just ban them, delete them, and that's it. Kind of move on. Before it wasn't really like that. I used to lose my shit on stream and swear <laughs> and you know do whatever. But then I would really yeah. go watch myself back, and I felt really embarrassed yeah. and like humiliated with the way I was acting. And I was like, I don't want to be that person on a live stream and I'm allowing someone sitting behind a screen to affect me in such a big way which honestly mm. they have no relevance whatsoever and I actually have a really funny story of a troll that came in it was um, a man in my chat 
And so I was playing and he literally wrote, you're so dog shit at the game. My son can play better. Like you're embarrassing. Why are you streaming? And so like a lot of the time, certain comments don't bother me. But this particular comment really frustrated me because I hovered over his name and his profile picture was literally him like holding his little son. And I just responded to him. I said, look, like, I don't understand how you can be a dad going into a live stream and like posting such a negative comment when you're a dad to a son who looks up to you and you're supposed to be a role model. I said, God forbid if your son was playing a sports match and another parent came up to you and said, why is your son playing this, 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 you know, this sport? He's so dog shit at it. What would be your response? And he actually replied in my chat and he said, I've never looked at it that way. I do apologize because yeah. um, I, I, I said like you're so out of line, like you're, you're an embarrassment to be a dad writing on the internet to someone trying to enjoy a game, being so toxic and negative, like what kind of role model are you for your side? And I feel like that really hits a spot for him. So sometimes when you approach trolls in a way where you can like see where you're coming from, so you kind of put them back in your shoes. So just like you can see their shoes, you want to put them in your shoes and make them really, really see your perspective and how it makes you feel. And Mm -hmm. I feel like they really like look at it and they go, oh, she's kind of got a point here. And so he really apologized. He ended up becoming a supporter and everything. And he still comes in my stream. And so I tried to approach my trolls in a way that I can sort of change their thinking. Instead of like, you know, just feeding the feeding that and just being gross back. Like, how can I make a difference and make them want to be a better person? That's how I feel. That is awesome. And Natalie, thank you so much for your time. It's been really cool to hear about this world and shine some light on this world. I want to encourage everyone listening or everyone watching at the moment, if you've never watched a stream before, you don't know anything about this world, NatChat is a great place to start. And I'm sure Natalie will welcome you with, with big open arms there. And uh, thank you, Natalie, for your time today. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's uh, our first guest and uh, really happy to have her. Shall we move on to the rest of our episode, Barry? Let's move on. The week that was. So before we dig right into the week that was, obviously loads to chat about this past week. Barry, we had our first interview, um, quite a milestone for us as a podcast, and I feel like we've escalated to the next level. Yeah, definitely. We've been chatting about it for a while, trying to get some new voices onto the podcast, and this was a really great way to start. I really enjoyed it. Thank you to Natalie for coming on. It really was awesome, and we look forward to a bunch more guest interviews in the future. Absolutely, and if you are watching on YouTube and wondering why we're wearing different clothes, we obviously recorded (laughs) the two pieces separately. Um, So, yeah, just give us a little bit of leeway for that one. Well, let's move on to this past week, Barry. Let's go straight into some of the coronavirus updates this past week. And the first one coming out of France. Tell us all about it. Yes, so we're talking about what the various measures are around the world to try and get back into normal life, right? We're going to have to do this this strange transition from this crazy pandemic lockdown trying to get back to normal life. And in that process, you obviously have to make sure that you're managing the spread and you're mitigating whatever risks you can. So a lot of countries are talking about masks, they're talking about contact tracing, etc., etc. And we saw an interesting thing come out of France this week. As France begins to ease their lockdown, what they've chatted about is that everyone using public transport, so subways and buses and train stations, etc., are going to be forced to wear masks. So that's mandatory. And the way they're going to track this is by using artificial intelligence. So, Chad, what they're going to do is they, they're partnering with a, a French startup called 
Data Collab, I think it's called. <laughs> and what they are doing is they are taking the existing CCTV cameras and installing chips in them that run AI models to then scan that those public stations and those subway stations and buses and whatnots and try and figure out how many of the people are wearing masks. Then they're going to report that data back to the French government and give them a sense of the French population and how are they complying with these new rules, which will then allow them to kind of isolate areas that perhaps they're not seeing as many masks and then put more policemen and whatnot there. So it's a really cool use of technology to try and figure out, are people complying with these new regulations? Is everybody wearing masks? And it's just another application for facial recognition technology and kind of computer vision technology that's going to try and figure out, if I look at this face, are they wearing a mask or aren't they? Absolutely fascinating. And I suppose a great application at that. We've been talking about these CCTV systems and, you know, the various governments around the world wanting to roll out this type of AI. But AI that was really looking at facial tracking and really looking to pin it down to an individual. Whereas this, I suppose, is a wider movement um, that is so useful for a time like this um, where you're trying to look at the compliance. My thing, though, is all the various designs of these masks. How is that AI going to track it? I suppose it's going to learn over time how to adjust. Exactly. And that's why this is harder than it sounds like. It sounds pretty easy to be able to figure out, cool, that face has got a mask, that face doesn't. But like you say, as masks become a fashion statement, and you start to see lots of different designs, lots of different fabrics, lots of colors, lots of patterns, etc. It becomes more and more difficult. So obviously it's going to be kind of a trial and everything. We're going to see how things work. Yeah. But with enough time, with enough data, as they continue to collect information day after day after day, those models will get better and better, and hopefully give you a really high accuracy to give you a sense as to who's wearing masks and who aren't. Fascinating. Well, we'll have to certainly see how that experiment goes. And I'm sure Barry's going to be really excited to hear those results. Now, moving on, still in the EU, but to Italy, um, one of the countries that was really pretty much the worst affected at the beginning of the pandemic. Obviously, now the UK is the worst affected in the EU. Um, but they're now looking to lift some of their lockdown restrictions, uh, starting with shops, restaurants and public worship, um, which are some pretty big lifts. And a lot of countries are really looking further down the line to lift these types of restrictions. But one of those is also opening the borders to travelers um, starting on the 3rd of June. Now, that seems really soon to me. And a lot of my friends that I I've chatted about this too already, are really keen to get on and get that summer holiday on the go. I'm shocked. Yeah, it is very strange because, of course, Italy has been this epicenter from around the world. It's been one of those places that everyone has been focusing on because of the, the tremendous amount of suffering and the crisis over there. And it seems like it was very recent, right? It seems very recent that they got over the peak and they started to stabilize. So this kind of early day to open borders is a little bit strange. But at the same time, maybe that's what's needed to try and get the economy back and running, right? So maybe if you've got the testing capability, your hospitals are back to normal kind of functioning, you've kind of got the, be the best of the best out of this, you've got the right people. PPE, et cetera, et cetera, this might be a good time to try and restart things. I think Italy is in a very similar position to places like South Africa, where the economy is really, really struggling. I mean, yep. Italy have, haven't had, haven't seen much GDP growth in the last kind of 10 or 20 years. And so they're also in that situation where they need to get people back to work and need to get things back and running. And so I think it's going to be a very interesting kind of touch point, interesting uh, story to watch and see what happens to the case numbers, see what happens to the morale in the yep. city. And like you say, Chad, see, see what happens with the actual travel. Like, do they see a real kind of increase in the amount of travel? And are people actually going to travel there? Are they going to you want to give it a go and go 
to the epicenter of the crisis yep. and uh, kind of take advantage of whatever deals I'm sure all the tourist companies are going to be running. Uh, it's really going to be an interesting story to watch and see what this says for the rest of the countries around the world as they start to ease lockdowns and we start moving towards a normal world, whatever that means. Absolutely. And one of the things I failed to mention in lifting this kind of border release is also the quarantine window of 14 days that is obviously currently in effect. So one of the things that they're looking at is for EU travelers, it's likely at this stage that EU travelers will not have to spend those 14 days in quarantine, which, yeah, certainly makes it appealing for those who are still looking to get a little summer holiday in this year still. And I think the big question here now really is how they're going to get there because a lot of these flights for the next couple of months have already been cancelled. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you have to find a way to get there, whether it's by train or by bus or driving or flying, and have to figure it out. Luckily, in the EU, the, the transport systems are quite well developed, and there seems to be a lot of options. Um, but whether it's going to be enough to reinvigorate that tourist economy and kind of get people back into those tourist centers remains to be seen. Absolutely. Well, let's now move on to the work effects of this. And uh, Barry, you found something really cool about a company that has been ahead of the curve for a long time in terms of the tech side, and I guess the modern work way um, and they've actually now expedited it a bit further. Yeah, so the company is Twitter, and Twitter is obviously one of the giant tech companies that has taken over the world and has such influence over public conversation and kind of holds the world's conversation at its fingertips. And as a company, like you say, they've always been pushing the boundaries. Jack Dorsey, their CEO, is one of those forward-thinking CEOs who's always trying to disrupt the status quo, especially with the way they work with their employees. And basically, the announcement they made this week, Chad, was that even post-pandemic, every single employee has the right to work from home forever. Yep. So they are getting rid of offices. Well, not getting rid of offices per se, but allowing people the opportunity, if they want to, to work remotely wherever possible. Now, obviously, this doesn't include some people who have to physically be there. So if you're yeah. maintaining servers in their, in their warehouses, then you probably have to be there. But for anybody who's not physically needed there, they're able to work remotely from wherever they are in the world. And this is a really big this is a really big leap. I think Twitter were in the in the process of doing this and we're gonna try and phase this in over time, but this pandemic has kind of brought that timeline right up. And and maybe they've seen over the pandemic it actually works. It actually works. Yeah. People are working from home, they're doing their thing, and they seem to think it's gonna work going forward. So it's the kind of the first major giant tech company that's made this kind of decision. And we have to wait and see what this does for what those employees are gonna do. And I think one of the big things of this chat is that a lot of the employees are staying in San Francisco because they kind of have to be in Silicon Valley. And the cost of living there, as you know, is crazy. Yeah. So this might give, the, give them the opportunity to move to cheaper places around the states or even around the world and still maintain their Twitter job. And so it's a really interesting one. And I, for one, am all for this kind of innovation. Absolutely. I think this is just the case study of really what is the first of what is about to become a really, really big movement and where companies are actually starting to challenge and question the amount of space they actually need in their offices where a lot of people actually prefer working from home. Some people are more efficient at home and uh, obviously the contact of having meetings maybe once a week will work, but to have to actually be at the office all the time for the sake of just showing your face, it seems like those days are numbered and I suppose that's a really, really positive move that we're seeing. Now, keeping in the tech space, Barry, we've seen another acquisition come through from Facebook. Obviously, we've seen a wide array of acquisitions in the past from Instagram to WhatsApp. And uh, now another one. Tell us about this one and specifically the sort of synergistic value that they see they're getting out of this acquisition. 
Yeah, definitely. It's Facebook doing what it does best. And that is like trying to understand the culture, understand what is the latest innovation and either buying it outright like they did with Instagram or like they did with WhatsApp, etc. Or kind of building it in-house and copying the best of the best from other companies. And this example is where they bought the company Giphy. And Giphy is that company that puts all those GIFs into your keyboard, Chad, and all your messaging apps, which allows you to send those hilarious GIFs with, with lots of popular culture references yeah. to your friends. Right? They bought this company for 400 million dollars right which is a huge amount of money especially for a company that has no revenue right so Giphy doesn't earn any revenue but they have a huge user base according to the latest stats the company has 300 million daily users and over 2 billion GIF searches are performed every single month so it really is a, a juggernaut in that space yeah. and is a huge part of messaging in, in, in 21st century right the meme culture and all of that stuff has really grown over the last couple of years yeah. and Giphy has placed itself at the forefront of that and so the question is why would they pay 400 million dollars for a company that earns zero revenue and the answer is that is, is data as it always is with Facebook <laughs> What a lot of people don't know is that every search and every gift that you send is not just the picture or the animation itself, but it's also a beacon that allows that company to track how and where that image is sent or loaded around the internet. So what they do is they wrap each of those gifts in like a technical um, special format that helps the image load faster. What it also does is it inserts that tracking beacon. And so that piece of JavaScript really allows the company Giphy to understand exactly what you're doing around the web. And it's another one of those retargeting tools that are so powerful. So obviously Facebook want that information because it allows them to form a better understanding of what you're doing on your phone, what you're doing on the internet so that they can serve you better targeted ads. So apparently what's going right. to happen is Facebook are looking to integrate Giphy into all of its platforms, so Instagram, Messenger, WhatsApp, etc., and then use the extra data to then feed their ad model. So again, it, it's, it's realizing that data is the commodity here and Facebook are doing their best to try and get as much information as possible on their consumers so that they can sell their attention to advertisers. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially because WhatsApp is part of their suite of applications and WhatsApp is end-to-end -end encrypted. So if this is one way that they get to kind of see a little bit of context of your conversations that you're having, um, that's an interesting development. And just in terms of the memes and the amount of actual data that they're going to get through, I don't know about you, Barry, but I really send memes about silly, nonsensical stuff. So if I send you a meme saying, well done, and it's a picture of, I don't know, Jennifer Anderson clapping her hands or something like that, that really, for me, doesn't infer any of my purchasing behavior. Or am I wrong? Yeah, so in isolation, it might not. But if, you, if you're looking at your whole customer profile as a whole, there might be information there. That's right. one of the key things about big data. It's not about each individual tracking pixel that does the work. It's when you aggregate it on a mass level, when you have millions and millions and millions of these data points, you can start to spot cultural trends. You can start to spot kind of categories and try to understand the way that people communicate with one another. And right. that's where the big data makes so much sense. And that's why it's so bizarre that Giphy can earn a $400 million valuation. It doesn't seem right. But yeah. as an aggregator of data, the kind of information they can give to Facebook is invaluable. And it's not because, Chad, you're going to send one gift to a friend and they're going to then... Uh, sell a product to you. It's because they're going to aggregate that with lots and lots of other consumers right. and get a better understanding of how the internet is working.
Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And we'll have to see how this acquisition works out for them and ultimately how the changes in Giphy come across if we even notice them at all in our use going forward. Now let's move on to something that I found absolutely crazy when I saw this. And uh, <laughs> it's really exciting to see it as a bit of an experiment, I guess. Um, but Elon Musk on one of his crazy ideas again. Yeah, so I've got no idea if Elon Musk is involved in this personally, right. but it sounds exactly <laughs> like his kind of project. Basically what is happening is that SpaceX and NASA and the man himself, Mr. Tom Cruise, are teaming up for a crazy, <laughs> crazy movie idea. And the idea is that they're going to try and film the very first full feature narrative film in outer space. So we've seen a lot of sci-fi movies, Chad. We've seen a lot of we've seen Gravity and Interstellar and all these great movies yep. done with amazing CGI, with amazing kind of uh, set design, all that good stuff. Now we reportedly are going to see a movie actually shot on the International wow. Space Station. And so at the moment, it's still very early days. Obviously, there's been some rumors and some talking about it, and I don't think it's there just yet. Yeah. But I imagine in the next couple of years, we're going to see a brand new Tom Cruise movie shot in outer space. That's fascinating. I, I don't know if I love or hate this story as a whole um, because <laughs> it is completely unnecessary in my mind. Um, like you said, the CGI, the tech is there. You are really able to put something together that is almost 100% authentic. Why you actually need to go out to space? Um, I, I just wonder. I wonder if it's something that Tom Cruise just wants to add to his list. The only actor who actually performed in space. What do you think? Yeah, potentially. I mean, he's got a huge, huge ego, and we all know that, and he really loves himself, and he kind of pushes the boundaries yeah. on action. I think he's one of those, one of the only like top, top action stars who still does a lot of his own stunts. If you read any of the articles, you watch yeah. any of the interviews, he still puts himself at risk a lot of times. I mean, the Mission Impossible series at the moment is on a hold because he did a stunt and broke his ankle, and so they had to stop <laughs> filming for a bit while his ankle healed up. Got so he's the it. kind of guy that I can imagine pushing this sort of thing. He has the money to do it. He has the kind of ambition to mm -hmm. kind of push himself past the limits, and and at the end of the day, I think it'll be great publicity for NASA and SpaceX. I don't know what kind of movies are going to come out of it, though. <laughs> well, we'll have to certainly see. And I'm fascinated, at least, to see. And then, lastly, in the week that was, we've got a little bit of an apology. Uh, I had a little <laughs> giggle out loud. Uh, yeah, I have to make a correction on a previous story. We got so excited last week, Chad, about the cardboard cutouts. <laughs> we chatted about this German s football team that was going to put the cardboard cutouts of their fans in the stadiums, and we were looking forward to seeing the games. And the Bundesliga actually started this weekend, so we finally oh, saw right. some live soccer, which was amazing. And what I realized is that I made the classic mistake of realizing that there are two <laughs> football teams in Germany that start with Borussia. Right. And I said that it was Borussia Dortmund that had these cardboard cutouts, but unfortunately it's the other one. It's Borussia Mönchengladbach. And so I must apologize to any German football fans. Um, I'm putting it right. It was in Dortmund. It was Borussia Mönchengladbach, but still a great idea nonetheless. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, an honest mistake. And uh, I'm sure we can all see how that happened. Let's move on to our next segment. Stuff I found interesting. We'll start this week with just a quick one from me, Chad, and that is looking at the internet stats. And I don't remember where I came across this, but I thought these stats were fascinating. If you look at the global internet traffic right now, 15% of all internet traffic goes to YouTube. Right. And 11% of all internet traffic goes to Netflix. Crazy. Right. So as a whole, those two companies control 26% of the global internet traffic. That is a, a ginormous number that I can't seem to get my head around. And some other stats include the following. On YouTube, there are 300 hours of video that are uploaded every single minute. 300 hours every single minute. And there are 5 billion videos that are watched on YouTube every single day. Yeah. 
Those numbers are crazy to me. And I think YouTube has been this runaway success that has completely dominated the market. It seems crazy to me that there's only one real video player in the space. Yeah. Why have there been no competitors? Why, why is YouTube the only place for video right now? And if you say to me, Vimeo and those places, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you down. Like, <laughs> YouTube is the space to be when it comes to video, right? And so they have a huge monopoly. And with those sorts of numbers, Chad, it's ginormous business. Absolutely. It's just a fascinating business. And uh, I suppose it's a fascinating model. I suppose one of the reasons why I think it's been so successful is it's one of those platforms that pays creators to create and at the same time doesn't charge subscribers or watchers to watch. And I suppose that's been really fascinating to see people actually make money and make a living on creating these films and also just be able to actually have just a platform for those who are not looking uh, to actually make money, but just who are able to have this frictionless place where they can upload their creations and have this super reliable, uh, super amazing, you know, bandwidth efficient uh, platform that will really be able to transform that into whatever device is actually watching on the end of it and so i think that's probably one of the reasons they've been able to do that the best out of all of the other possible providers but for me that traffic amount is is crazy so in terms of global internet traffic do you think this is talking about the time spent on various platforms what do you think we're talking about bandwidth because i suppose if we talk about bandwidth video inherently is higher and so that would kind of get it to a higher position on this list do you know barry I don't know, but that makes a lot of sense. That's a really good point. I don't know how they would track the time spent on websites. I don't think the tech is there yet. That would right. be a huge privacy thing. But I think <laughs> the bandwidth makes sense. And so maybe yeah. that is one of the reasons, right, is that video takes up so much more bandwidth. And that makes sense for Netflix as well. Of course, yeah, YouTube yeah. Is, kind of feels like old tech for some reason, even though it's only a, like a decade or so old. But Netflix is kind of the new kid on the block. And some of the stats are there, Chad. They've had a huge growth over the last couple of years. And currently, at, at the last point of the stats being released, had 182 million million subscribers which are estimated to then reach 300 million people because we all know we have one account for all our family and we send our friends our login details and we do all that good stuff so they reckon they reach up to 300 million people so again huge huge reach from netflix and in 2017 they had an average of 1 billion hours of content that are watched every single week that's in 2017. I'm pretty sure they must have doubled or tripled by now. It's a huge amount of content being watched on their platform. And again, they're really building themselves into a huge, huge monopoly. It's insane. I mean, I obviously have a Netflix subscription, but I spend most of my time on YouTube, even though it's free. And that is just fascinating. I suppose the fact that it's not curated media it is really just individuals who are able to have their own voice and uh, i think it's just got such a special place in the world and i spend most of my time there and if you look at the ads that they put on the back of being able to actually watch a video it's only a couple of seconds which i really appreciate yeah, definitely. They've really got the balance right, it feels. The balance between, like you say, the advertisers, the creators, and then the users. Yeah. And so they're trying to build that win-win-win situation where no one feels like they're getting the short end of the stick. Yeah. And they've done really, really well on that. And they really take care of their creators for the most part. And so I think that's why they've built such rabid audiences. Like you, Chad, I, I spend a lot of time on YouTube. And I've really invested in those creators that I yeah. really love, right? I've become huge fans of them, and I kind of watch everything that they create. Yeah. And so it really is an amazing community of people Netflix is much more isolated. You kind of sit in your home and you watch. And, and sure, you chat about it on social media and with your yeah. friends about the big shows. But YouTube is much more of a community. It's much more of a social network. Whereas Netflix is just showing you very high quality TV and kind of documentaries and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Both have a place, but such an interesting stat. So thanks for bringing that to us, Barry. Keeping on YouTube, I came across this random video this past week, which is not new by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's a couple of years old, actually. And it is an extract from the Jimmy Kimmel show, where basically an interviewer goes around on the street and asks people outright what sort of methodology they use to come up with their passwords. And in that same conversation, in a sort of veiled way, they kind of start to find out a little bit more about this person and the person doesn't even realize that they're giving this person their password. So for example, someone will go through and say, what's your password? Oh, you know, it's just my dog's name and the year I was born. And in a conversation, which let's say is 10 minutes long, the interviewer will be able to get out. Oh, cool. Yeah. So what's your dog's name? And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So when were you born? And straight away has has their password. And I just found this fascinating. And I suppose this just increases the scrutiny that we have on privacy and online security. Yeah, I think it's a great example of how how careless people are with their cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where theoretically we know passwords are important. We've been told make it strong, make it complex, don't write it down, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But I think a lot of us are very careless with how we do it. And not just telling people our passwords, but actually just making our passwords that are very easy to guess, right? Or easy to figure out if that hacker has enough kind of reason to get into your account. And so it's another example of passwords yeah. are kind of the simplest way to protect your data, to protect your information to protect your life and kind of your credit cards and all these good things and uh, you have to make sure that you're taking it seriously and you're not falling into that habit of just saying oh, i'm just gonna pick the easiest password i can think of it's like yeah. there's such amazing tech these days to have password managers which will do that for you and generate very secure passwords there's a lot of good ways with two-factor authentication and all these sorts of yep. things to ensure that you have very strong passwords in all your accounts and it's a very humorous look this video to just remind <laughs> us if you've got weak passwords it's a silly silly thing to do because when things go wrong you'll all of a sudden look back and you're like if only i had made that more strong exactly and you might think your dog's name is such a confidential thing but i mean you might have posted a photo on instagram a couple of years ago where you say my dog x is such a cute dog and it really does become such a compromising thing so like barry says i think do investigate in some of those password managers there are some great ones out there so we keep in core to the netflix versus youtube theme here really and now we're talking about a <laughs> netflix documentary that you saw this past week barry yeah so i watched the documentary it was called becoming which of course is the the title of michelle obama's like mess massive bestseller book and this documentary follows her book tour she was going around the united states talking about the book and it's a little behind-the-scenes look at Michelle Obama, obviously the former first lady of the United States of America, the, the powerhouse wife to Barack Obama. Yep. And she's really built herself a real brand and a real kind of voice who's talking for women, for people of color, and for leadership around the country and really is becoming one of those well-respected leaders even past the presidency and past all of that stuff. Yep. And this documentary, Chad, I found really cool is because it's really well put together. It's like a beautifully shot documentary. And it's very simple. All they're doing is taking sound bites from the various interviews and inter, inter, interweaving them with kind of interviews with people and kind of um, book signings and that sort of thing to give you a sense of who Michelle Obama is. Yeah. Of course, during the presidency, a lot of the attention focuses on Barack and focuses on the president himself. And so Michelle had to try and find a way to break out of his shadow and not just be kind of the accessory to Barack, but a woman in her own right and kind of a leader in her own right. And she does this amazingly well by creating a brand new brand for herself. And this book is kind of the launching pad for that. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the one thing that really stood out for me, Chad, was the amount of composure and the people skills that you need to have to be a person like she is. For example, she would go on the 
campaign trail and they show one of the examples when they were running, I think, 2012 election. And she'll be on the road day after day after day, traveling to all the states, right? And every single day, she'd be for 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day interacting with people. And I, for one, am an introvert. That terrifies me because I get very exhausted. If I have four (laughs) Zoom calls in a row, I am drained. I want to go lie in my bed. I want to read my book. I want to get away from people. And so I have huge respect for the amount of people skills that are necessary to make the person right at the end of your day feel as important as the person at the beginning of your day. And that's what she does so well. And that's kind of the the face of politicians, really. They have to be able to do that. They have to be able to focus all of their attention on the person they're speaking to and make them feel like they're the most important thing in the world. And I think there's something we can all learn from that, is that when we can, if if you get really good at that skill, you get really good at listening and kind of not just fobbing people off, but being able to show energy and show empathy every moment of the day, that's a powerhouse skill. Absolutely, completely agree with you there. And uh, it's one of those skills that not everyone can have. Uh, It's the reason why we have one Michelle Obama and why she's such a spectacular individual. And uh, like you say, that just sounds like such a great documentary. And uh, we certainly need to go and have a watch. Now, the last thing that I wanted to chat in stuff I found interesting this week was Today at Apple, which is basically a service for everyone in the UK, and I'm not sure if it is in other countries, I'm sure it would be, where you can walk into an Apple store at any moment in time, and there will pretty much be a workshop going on in the background. Now, all these workshops are obviously tailored to Apple products and tailored to the ecosystem and obviously the various software pieces that they sell as well, but it's a really, really great addition in terms of the softer side and softer skills of actually getting to learn their products and getting to know what's possible with them, and they've actually now extended that offering to home, which I find really cool, and uh, For me, for a while, I've always thought that the fact that you have to walk into a store is quite limiting. Why can you not access these types of workshops at home uh, remotely? And so it's really cool for me to see these now extended that way. I've been to a couple myself, some on how to just use your iPhone's camera better and really shoot better style cinematic type video where you lock focus and do all of those kinds of things. Uh, Simple things, but obviously really cool to just be able to look at different applications of it. All the way really to the most advanced stuff, which is trying to learn how to better use Final Cut Pro X. And so I think these types of workshops are really, and I think these types of workshops are really a great addition for any company who's actually selling a product uh, to offer this type of training. And now to adapt in this kind of time, I just think it's great. That sounds really cool. Sounds really interesting. Like you say, it's a great way to try and encourage people to use their devices more effectively. Yeah. I think especially with Apple devices, they are so powerful and they are so good at what they do. But if you're not aware of how to use the features, if you're not aware of how to get better photos or better videos, etc., you might not be using the phone or the device to its full capability. So this is a great example to try and get you to understand what this phone is capable of. Yeah. And we've seen some amazing stuff come out of the iPhone, like amazing photos being shot, yeah. amazing cinematography. And I'm imagining workshops like this help the normal person, a person who just bought the phone on the streets to get better get better like usage out of their phone and create some of these amazing pieces of content without professional equipment. That's really cool. Absolutely. So if you do have any of those devices, definitely go and check it out. I suppose in South Africa, you don't have that service, certainly in my knowledge, um, to actually be able to walk into an iStore and pick up a workshop. So really cool that now the whole globe can actually take advantage of these offerings. So definitely do while you are able to. Let's move on to our next segment. Looking ahead. And looking ahead this week, we start with a project that I'm very fascinated by, Chad. And when I found it, I had to put her on this list. And we're talking about 
Mind reading. Mm. Yes, mind reading. And we're not talking about the kind where you go to a psychic and you sit in front of them and they tell you a horoscope. <laughs> we're talking about using technology to analyze brain waves. Wow. So basically what happened is that a team from the University of California, San Francisco, is busy working on a machine learning solution that aims to translate neural signals into English text while the person is reading out loud. Mm. So what they're trying to do is match, can they understand when you say a certain word, is there a certain brain kind of function or brain wave that happens that they can match up and do pattern recognition, right? So for example, a person who's undergoing surgery for epilepsy, for example, will have electrodes attached to their brain, and the researchers will capture that neural activity as that person reads out loud, right? right. That model will then try and match the words to those neural waves and understand like what is happening in the brain. And Chad, it, it sounds a little bit like science fiction, it sounds a bit out yeah. there, but the results have been surprisingly good. Hmm. According to this study, they achieved a 97% success rate wow. when trained on one person reading 50 sentences with a vocabulary of 250 words. Right, so that's a staggering amount of accuracy for for that kind of um, that kind of use case, and of course it, it it's nothing compared to the full vocab of the English language. Like English sure. has got about one hundred seventy thousand words, <sighs> but just for a two hundred fifty word data set and a fifty sentence reading out loud, they had a ninety seven percent success rate as to match those brain waves to those words. So that is a really, really staggering breakthrough in the kind of the technology and kind of it says a lot about what's to come for this sort of thing. Yeah. Obviously, speech patterns don't necessarily um, equate to thoughts, right? We can think things without saying them. And when we say things, it kind of changes that. Yeah. But it does feel like we're one step closer to being able to understand thought and be able to measure thought and maybe even read someone's mind. I thought it was fascinating. It is fascinating. And there's so many questions that come to my mind of such an experiment. Obviously, this is now currently in a lab and you have to have those electrodes in your brain. But the next question is, how does this get rolled out? Is there a type of sensor that would allow these types of frequencies to be picked up just on the surface of your skull? And also just in terms of the implications. So if you, for example, were looking at a solution for somebody who is deaf or, for example, can't talk or whatever the case is, does that person need to actually be able to command the English language? Or is there a kind of universal brain type language that can be translated into other languages? Fascinating stuff. Yeah, without a doubt. And there's lots of questions that are arising from this. I think everyone's talking about Elon Musk's company, Neuralink, which is trying to put like a, a brain interface into your brain. So wow. some sort of chip or some sort of lace interface that sits on your brain and, and, and performs the role of those electrodes. Wow. So I think we're going that, that route. And I, I think in a couple of years' time, we might be talking about those sorts of things. Wow. Um, but like you say, the, kind of the, the implications for this are very big in the medical field, um, giving people sure. the ability to communicate where they previously haven't been able to. Obviously, we've seen hearing aids and those sorts of things be a real boon to people who struggle with that stuff and yeah. been born with deformalities and that sort of thing. And so there's huge medical implications here. And we're going to have to wait and see whether this um, kind of carries forward. Obviously, this is one study. So there's still a lot of work to do. And it's in a sure. very controlled environment. Um, but it's, it's exciting for the future of AI and for the future of what this might mean to help people communicate beyond traditional speech. Absolutely fascinating and such a positive story about how tech is making the world a better place. Uh, one of the things that tech is not making the world a better place at is Google, who have rolled out their Google Meet app and offering, which has been around for some time for paying members. It's kind of been going concurrently with 
the Google Hangouts platform, which I've personally never used. And Barry and I actually gave this a little try before the call, seeing as we were talking about it, we thought, well, let's actually record this episode on the app. Um, how great this is going to be this uh, app that allows you to talk for up to 24 hours for free, and you can actually have up to 100 participants. It's really got the backdrop of something that has great potential, but execution barrier just seems really poor. <laughs> It's really bizarre, Chad. I mean, this, of course, is the big tech battle of the pandemic, right? It's the big battle of who's going to win this video conferencing war. Yeah. And Google seemed to have all the opportunities and all the advantages, right? They've got this giant company. They've got the best engineers in the world. They've got people using their products every single day. But for some reason, this Google Meet, for me at least, has yeah. really been quite underwhelming. And the reliability hasn't quite been there. We've had a lot of issues with it. I know my mother, who's busy doing some online teaching and trying to use it with her, her right. students, is really struggling as well. So I don't understand again how zoom is so far <laughs> ahead when it comes to the tech then players like google Meet, who theoretically should be able to beat zoom no problems asked and so it's a very strange one i don't know why it's so bad absolutely especially when you actually look at some of the tech behind this offering and i believe it uses the same codex as youtube obviously youtube is owned by google and so they have access to those codecs so i would expect for a much lower bandwidth capability to get a much clearer picture that just happens but that wasn't our experience at all, Barry. Yeah, especially when you think that YouTube streaming seems to work quite well, right? So yeah. when people stream live on YouTube, it really does work and it's quite reliable. So it's a yeah. bit strange. It really, really is. Some of the other features they're looking at adding and some of the ones that they already have includes a background noise cancellation feature. So obviously, as we've been doing video calls a whole lot more recently, the dog barking in the background and the kids screaming in the background become a lot more evident. And so they've worked on a feature that apparently works quite well at getting rid of some of that background noise, which is interesting. And also one of the other features is to use AI to brighten up some of the faces. So for those people who don't have such great lighting, not like you or me, Barry, with our studio lights on our faces, um, can actually use the AI to brighten certain pieces of the image, uh, which sounds like it's got great potential. But again, hopefully they can better their offering. Yeah, definitely. I think they've got a lot of work to do, but I, for one, am never to underestimate Google, like never yeah. underestimate them. Uh, they definitely have the, the capability and the skills yeah. and kind of the scale needed to fix this. And so I think that they're going to take this feedback on board, hopefully, over the next couple of weeks and try and come up with a better and improved product. Obviously, Zoom are going through some struggles, a lot of their security risk and a lot yeah. of that kind of back-end stuff, which Google seemed to have sorted. And so we'll have to wait and see. Can they catch up? Can they make this product really, really good? Um, because if they can, then I think that Zoom and the and those, those kind of companies are under pressure because so many people are already tied into the Google ecosystem. And if video conferencing becomes a really good product, who knows what can happen. Absolutely. Well, if you have got a quiz night lined up in the next week, give it a try. Obviously, it's free. And uh, let us know what you think. Let's move on to our next insert. Develop and grow. I was looking for things for this segment, Chad, and I came across an article by one of my favorite writers, a man by the name of Kevin Kelly, okay. uh, someone who I think is absolutely fascinating. And he had his birthday the other day. I think he turned 68. And so he posted a blog post on his, on his website oh. talking about 68 pieces of wisdom that he's learned over his years. Cool. And when I saw this, I was immediately there because I think he's a <laughs> genius. And so I've pulled out some of my favorite ones, Chad. And so I'll go through them quite quickly and we can chat about them. But basically, they're little statements or little idioms that stand for themselves and hopefully you can give you some insight inspiration and some food for thought as you move into the rest of the week. The first one, learn how to learn from those who disagree with or even offend you. See if you can find the truth in what they believe. Yep. 
And I think that's great because so much, so many of us are kind of stuck in our bubble and we struggle to have conversations with people that we disagree with because it all of a sudden descends into being defensive, into fighting, into kind of arguing and calling each other names, etc. How can you learn from people who offend you? How can you try and see it from their perspective? That's a crucial, crucial skill, I think, Chad. Yeah, absolutely. It is such a crucial one, but it's really a hard one to do in practice. Uh, and so I think we just need to be a bit more patient and uh, and really start probing a lot more into how we can actually unlock that. What's the next one? The next one is that being enthusiastic is worth 25 additional IQ points. And I love this. It's simple. It's to the point. Yeah. I, for one, am a very enthusiastic person. My friends make fun of me because I always say <laughs> that movie was the greatest thing I've ever seen or that book was the greatest book I've ever, ever read. And I say that for everything that I see. <laughs> but I really think it makes a big difference in the world. If you're yeah. enthusiastic and optimistic, I think you can have a better life. Absolutely, completely agree there. The next one is that pros are just amateurs that know how to gracefully recover <laughs> from their mistakes. And I love this as well because everyone makes mistakes and the ones that the ones that don't succeed are the ones that give up or the ones that kind of get defensive and blame yeah. other people. The pros are able to make a mistake, figure out what went wrong and then kind of recover from it and kind of own that mistake. And that's a big thing for all of us, I think. The next one is chatting about conversation, and that's the rule of three. So when you're chatting to someone, to get the real reason for what they are feeling or what they're thinking yeah. about, ask a person to go deeper than what they just said. Yeah. So ask again, and why? And then ask again, and why? And often the third answer is more close wow. to the truth than their original kind of point. And I think wow. those, for you, those of you in relationships, this is incredibly important, <laughs> because often the reason that your partner might give you for feeling a certain way is not the truth. It's just something they're trying to get the conversation going. And you have to learn to be able to dig past those layers to get to the real reason behind it. It's such a silly one because why would us as humans put up so many layers and really have to force another person to peel back the onion, peel back every layer? And we've spoken about this before, Barry. We've spoken about it in the context of mental health. Obviously, it's Mental Health Awareness Week this week. Um, and so I think obviously relevant to discuss there. And, and that point of ask twice in that case uh, that we spoke about before, where you ask someone, how are you doing? And the default is, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm good ask twice, get a little bit more detail. And this sort of idea of asking three times, even better. Exactly. So go and try it out there in the real world and report back to us as to what you find. The next one, don't take it personally when someone turns you down. Assume yeah. they are just like you. They're busy, they're occupied, they're distracted and try again later. It's amazing how often a second try works. Yeah. Now, this is very important because in our world today, we are kind of plagued by people ghosting us, by people blue ticking us. There's all these terms yeah. in the language for ideas when we don't get the attention we think we deserve. And often we kind of attribute it to malice. We kind of think the person doesn't like us or is trying to hurt us. But often it's just because life is busy and unfortunately they maybe forgot yeah. to reply, et cetera, et cetera. So always give it a second try. Don't let your ego get in the way and actually realize that everybody is busy and distracted and yeah. all over the place. Yeah, it's a really good one. And as as I'm speaking here, I'm 100% guilty of blue ticking Barry yesterday. Uh, by complete <laughs> mistake, I realized this morning when I opened up my phone that I didn't reply. Um, but it is one of those, like you said, there's always different cases. And I think we just as people need to stop our minds from racing to actually get to the truth of, of the matter. The next one is to show up and keep showing up. Someone successful said that 99% of success is just showing up. Right, It's a reminder to all of us that unless you put yourself out there, unless you take risk, unless you get into the arena, nothing can happen. Right, You can't win by sitting in the sidelines. And so if you keep showing up time and time and time again, eventually things will go your way and you'll create your own luck. 
The next one, Chad, is a little bit weird for me, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And what he says is, before you are old, attend as many funerals as you can bear and listen. Nobody talks about the departed's achievements. The only thing people will remember is what kind of person you were while Hmm. you were achieving. Now, this thing really hit me at at heart because I'm a big A-type. I've got these huge goals for my life. I often judge myself by my achievements in a professional sense and whatnot. And this is a good reminder for us that that doesn't dictate your legacy in this world, right? Your achievements are going to be forgotten. But the kind of person that you are, the character, the values that you live, all of those things are what the people are going to remember you for. And so I think going to funerals or at least talking to old people, talking to people who have lived a full life and getting a sense as to what actually matters is a good perspective for us to ensure that we're not always focused on what is the next thing to achieve, what is the next box to tick, what is the next piece of success to chase, but rather figuring out how do we become better people. That's profound, and I can see how that uh, hit home with you, Barry. Absolutely profound. The second last one is that anything real begins with a fiction of what it could be. So imagination is therefore the most potent force in the universe and a skill you can get better at. It's the one skill in life that benefits from ignoring what everyone else knows. And why I like this is because it's a reminder to all of us to kind of take the less trodden path, like try something different. Like be willing to be seen as weird or silly or strange because you're chasing an idea that is different because that's what kind of imagination and creativity is all about. And the more you can do that, the better chance you have of making a real impact on this world. Yeah, and that one really fits nicely with the idea of of looking at the world with that childlike wonder that we speak about so much, Barry. And that is really where all of the great sort of innovations and developments of this world come about. And one more, Chad. I know I've been done a lot, so I'll put you out of your misery. The last one here is over the long term, the future is decided by optimists. To be an optimist, you don't have to ignore all of the many problems that we create. You just have to imagine improving our capacity to solve those problems. And I think it's a great place to end Kevin Kelly's little pieces of advice. Be an optimist. Believe we can do better. Believe we can make this world a better place. I've been reading quite a bit about this, funny enough, this idea of optimist and about lots of people kind of accusing others of being Pollyannas. Um, but it is such an important one. And just having that optimism is is really just so useful. And it really just gives you an out. You can actually see the end of the tunnel. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, where I think a lot of people just get stuck. And, uh, you know, in that pessimism, it, it's just really so hard to get out of. Um, so, Barry, I think you are certainly uh, a contributor of a lot of optimism in this world. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of carry on with that and take it on with ourselves if we, if we can. So one of the other things I wanted to chat about this week uh, in Develop and Grow, certainly on the physical side, uh, was how we are keeping fit and active during this time. And we've spoken quite a lot about HIIT training. And obviously, you know, there's loads of those types of workouts uh, that a lot of people have been able to do now that they are confined to their own homes. And one of the things I never really thought about and never really focused on was the power of using resistance bands. And so when you do inevitably get hit fatigue, which I think is an eventuality if it's all you're doing, they're great workouts, they're really fantastic, but they're but they're tough. And, uh, you know, just to kind of get up every single day and want to do 100 burpees is, is not always your vibe for the day. <laughs> so I think it's really great to use resistance bands as a kind of substitution for, for weights, really. I woke up this morning and grabbed my resistance band and did some curls and did some all various things. And I was really, really, really surprised at, at how much sort of muscle work you can actually get from these simple, simple devices. 
Yeah, I haven't used them myself, but I've seen so many videos about them. And like you say, Chad, they really are very flexible, both in the literal and the figurative <laughs> sense, right? And, and the amount of different workouts you can do, the amount of different yeah. movements you can do is incredible, especially in a situation where you're working out from home. Yeah. All you need is like a, a frame or a door frame or something with them, and you can yep. do a whole range of stuff. So they're one of those very inexp inexpensive pieces of equipment that really can do the whole wide range of full body movements. So very, yeah. very cool. I need to get myself a pair, Chad. Absolutely. And I mean, I think for a long time, people have been using them in rehab uh, you go to a physio a physio says well this is your little bit of exercise to do uh, he has a little stretchy piece of rubber and and you know that's kind of the only reason you see it uh, but for me i think it certainly is a, a great fitness tool in itself and you certainly should go and order some barry let's now move on to our last segment what's on your mind so we're back to what's on your mind and we actually have a question this week, something to talk about by a, a very passionate listener and her name is Ashley and she mentioned that she really, really loved our latest episode this past week. Barry, do you have any good recommendations for novels? Yeah, so obviously she heard the last episode we were chatting about novels versus self-help and talking about the various in the various implications there. And uh, when I get a question like this, I get very excited because as you know, Chad, I am a huge book <laughs> nerd and I love my books. Absolutely. But it's always a dangerous question because I could give thousands of recommendations, but it's hard to know what to recommend to different people because depending on what you like, yeah. what genres you enjoy, that kind of what you're what your reading past does it look like will dictate what kind of books I will try and recommend. So it's always a difficult one. First of all, I would recommend chatting to friends that are like you, have similar interests, similar sort of backgrounds, and getting a sense as to what books they really enjoyed. That's often a great way to go about it and get a more kind of narrow and niche understanding of what books might be good for you. But what I've tried to do here is give a few examples of books that I think will appeal to the most amount of people. So the kind of mass market, right. if you've never read a novel before, perhaps this is a good place to start. And I would love to hear, if you do go and get any of these and read them, I'd love to hear your thoughts. The first one is potentially my favorite novel of all time, a book called Cain and Abel by Jeffrey Archer, an absolute masterpiece. I don't want to spoil the plot, so I won't <laughs> tell you anything about it, but trust me, it is brilliant, and it's right. probably one of my favorite novels of all time. Okay. The second one is one that I just finished a couple weeks ago called An Orchestra of Minorities by Chigozi Obioma, my very first Nigerian novel, and it changed my, my world when it comes to, wow. to fiction. So a really, really amazing story there, very emotional. I, I may or may not have shed a tear towards the second half of the book. Wow. It really is a must-read. The third one is a book called Inferno by Dan Brown. Now, Dan Brown is a very famous author, probably yeah. best known for his book, The Da Vinci Code. is one of his earlier books. Inferno is one of his later books, and I think it's better than The Da Vinci Code, which okay. says a lot because The Da Vinci Code was an absolute bestseller, right? And Inferno is an amazing kind of dystopian future. So if you're looking for something dystopian or more kind of fantasy, or not fantasy per se, but speculative fiction, that's a good one to go for. And the last one, Chad, is something that everyone should read. <laughs> everyone has to read it. And it's the, the magnificent Harry Potter series yep. by J.K. Rowling. Um, potentially, I think, one of the greatest stories of our generation. And uh, it's one of those stories that if you haven't read it yet, even though it feels like it's for kids, it's really not. Once you get into book three and book four and you start to move through that series, it becomes an incredible tome, an incredible story about bravery, about courage, about friendship, and about all sorts of amazing things that I, for me has changed my life. So those are kind of my four recommendations, Chad, for anyone who hasn't read novels before and is looking for somewhere to start. Amazing. Thanks, Barry. Some great recommendations there. I, like we have been chatting about extensively, am quite a novice at novels. Uh, and so these are a great little list that I can also have myself uh, in the future when I want to 
go that way, uh, go away from the nonfiction direction that I've been setting myself up in for some time already. That brings us to the end of yet another episode. Quite a jam-packed one, Barry. We covered a heck of a lot of things, had our first guest. A lot of it was tech-focused, which is yours and my favorite, favorite things to chat about, uh, but a great, great week nonetheless. Definitely. It feels like a Waterstone moment for the podcast. We're back to video. We have our first <laughs> guests. And we also brand new, like brand straight out of the box, we have a new Instagram and Twitter handle. Hey. So that's really cool as well. So the podcast is moving from strength to strength. We really enjoy kind of sharing this with you guys and interacting with you. If you do have any thoughts or comments, especially in our first guest segment, we'd yeah. love to hear some feedback. We want to make sure this is as good as possible for you guys. And if you have any ideas for guests in the future, people you'd love to hear interviewed, please drop us a comment or yeah. some sort of email or message on any of the social media platforms we'd love to hear your thoughts and continue to make this podcast better and better for you guys absolutely and if you don't know where to find us barry what are those handles on the various platforms and then also tell us where people can find out about more of your personal stuff as well Absolutely, Chad. So let's chat about the various platforms. On Facebook, we are Across the Pond Podcast. We've got a great community building there yep. every single day. So go and join us if that's your place. On Instagram, brand new Across the Pondcast. That's that's the handle there. And so we're going to be sharing lots of cool stuff and lots of behind the scenes there on Instagram. So yep. go follow us there. And on Twitter, our handle is Across underscore podcast. Um, so go and find us there. If you're a Twitter user, we'd love to see you. And wherever you're following us, whatever platform you're using, we hope to provide you lots of cool content and continue to bring this bring you this podcast wherever on the internet world you're from and then chad you allow me to plug my own stuff which i appreciate <laughs> um my website is www.barrymaurice.com and on there i've got a blog which i write about various things that interest me yep. and i've also got a newsletter that i send out every single monday with a lot of cool links and kind of links to things that i'm fascinated by and hopefully bring you some value every single monday in your email inbox so if you'd like to go and sign up that's the place to go barrymaurice.com um we really are growing a, a really cool community and kind of audience and a tribe there about really interesting things philosophy economics business tech anything that that's interesting to me that i hope will be interesting to you so so if that's your thing, I'd really encourage you to go and check it out and uh, hopefully see you there. Amazing. Well, definitely do go and check that out. I am subscribed up to Barry's newsletter and it's the best way for me to start the week with this uh, fantastic curated uh, article really um, of something that he found thought-provoking the past week and some of the things that he is keeping up to. And also, if you don't know, Chad is also doing amazing things online, so you better go check his stuff out as well. And, <laughs> and where I recommend starting is with his YouTube channel. So he's been on absolute tear recently, uh, uh, releasing lots of these vlogs from all his travels around Europe, uh, very highly produced lots of amazing drone shots lots of really cool kind of stories and, and sites from around the world and so if you'd like to go and follow Chad go and check out Chad Sturley on YouTube and of course he's on Twitter on Instagram and all those places as well sharing his photos his videography and all those sorts of things Thank you, Barry. That sounds amazing. Uh, please do go check it out and engage with us as well. Uh, we want to we want to extend the dialogue here as well. So if you'd like to send us just a voice note, you can certainly click on a link in any one of the episodes and that'll take you to Anchor. You can send us a voice note to maybe be included in one of our next episodes. Otherwise, please do check out our social media pages and let's engage and extend this conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed this one and we'll see you again next week. This was episode 28 of across the pond, 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 pond across the pond